Shut up and sit down. Listening to The Bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. Here's your host, John Lund. Hello, everyone. You're listening to The Bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. I'm your host, John Lund, the multimedia sports enthusiast, bringing you this podcast. Well, it's finally here Super Bowl 50. We'll give a preview of the big game and whatever else I might happen to have up my sleeve on episode 19 of The Bridge. Greetings and salutations, everyone. Welcome back to The Bridge. It is good to be back behind the microphone. Took a week off to settle down a little bit because it can be very exciting in the week leading up to the Super Bowl. Unfortunately, this show is not being produced on Radio Row down in San Francisco with all the other radio conglomerates and everyone else who goes down there and picks up a press pass and mingles around with former athletes and anyone else who happens to be in the vicinity of the place. I didn't get my hands on a press pass, so I'm still here in northeastern Pennsylvania looking out my childhood bedroom window watching the 85 Bears 30 for 30 on mute. It's the dream, man. It really is. But even though I couldn't get down to Radio Row, shake hands with all the other folks that are down there, I'm still going to do my best to give you guys incredible content and a great preview to Super Bowl 50 with a special guest who also just happens to be a Super Bowl champion. Quickly, though, as far as Radio Row is concerned, there's a couple gripes I have with the whole thing, and I think some radio broadcasters feel the same way. Of course, they usually happen to be older. You know, they don't want to do things that make them uneasy and shake them up a little bit. All these people go down there. They set up their little stations. They put their little banners on the wall sit by themselves at a one-chair desk and get ready to do their radio shows. And they have on some decent guests, some former NFL players, some former coaches, people that know the game. But then they just bring in people that really shouldn't be talking about the Super Bowl, football, things that they don't necessarily know much about. I'm not going to call anybody out by name in case they're listening, which I'm sure they are, so they don't get angry at the bridge. But try to bring on people that can talk about what needs to be talked about. And this huge publicity stunt for a lot of sports channels and sports radio shows. And what hurts me the most about the whole thing is you go down to wherever the Super Bowl is being held this year in particular. Everybody's in San Francisco having a good time. And then a lot of the guys don't even have the chance to go to the Super Bowl itself. They go down there Monday through Friday. Get on a plane Friday night, get out of there. They got to be back on Monday to do their radio show. Watch the game with their families, I'm guessing, at the house. But if you're going to sit there for a week and talk about the biggest NFL game of the year, wouldn't you also want to go and watch it? Now, that's not necessarily the case with everyone. Some hosts do indeed get to watch the Super Bowl game. But for those that don't, what a punch in the gut that is. It's like finding a pot of gold at the end of a rainbow You start counting the gold. You get all excited. Here comes the leprechaun whose pot of gold it is. He pats you on the back for counting it and then sends you away without even giving you any of the gold. 
Now, is that an awful analogy? You're damn right. But you get where I'm coming from. If I'm going down there and I'm sitting in San Francisco for a week, getting all screwed up with West Coast time, especially if I have an early show, I got to wake up three hours earlier to do it so the East Coast people are pleased. Let me go to the game. Give me my credentials. Where's my pass? I want to be on the damn field. It's going to be warm, sunny. Get me on the field. That's all I ask. Now, unfortunately, my producers did not give me the press pass to get to the Super Bowl or to get down to San Francisco so I could get a nice setup here with this desk. I have to have a word with somebody. Talk to the interns, maybe. I don't know who I got to speak with. Anyway, Super Bowl 50. Carolina Panthers with Cam Newton. The Denver Broncos with Peyton Manning. The best defense in the game against, like, the second best defense in the game. A great offense with a fast, scrambling quarterback. Peyton Manning with his lack of arm strength and whatever else people say he doesn't have anymore. It should be a great game because it really is two of the best teams in the National Football League. Denver comes into this game with an offense that's actually not close to as good as the offense was in 2014 in Super Bowl 48, a team that was able to only score eight points in the Super Bowl in a 43-8 loss to the Seattle Seahawks. But the defense that they had back then is better tenfold. They brought in people. They basically formed their defense. John Elway even said this, that after that loss, they basically went out and tried to be the Seahawks or something comparable to at least the personnel they had. So they've definitely done that, and it showed throughout the season. The defense has carried the team. Peyton Manning started off okay. Denver ends up going 7-0 and to start things off. After the bye week, Peyton came back and was vintage Manning against the Green Bay Packers, pretty much knocking them down from the peg that people had put them on earlier in the season. But then after that, he gets the plantar fascia in his foot. He's got problems with that. They put in Brock Osweiler. He's okay. Denver starts sliding down a little bit. Peyton ends up coming back in week 17 against the San Diego Chargers. Didn't start the game, but came in and, quote, led them to victory, though he just handed the ball off a couple times. But in the playoffs so far, he hasn't made any mistakes as far as turnovers are concerned. Was able to get through Pittsburgh, was able to get through New England, and it was really the Denver defense that ended up propelling them past the Patriots, knocking Tom Brady down 23 times almost double what he had been knocked down in a single game throughout the regular season. More than double, actually. So for this game, that's really what it's going to come down to, in my opinion. What is the Denver defense going to be able to do against the Carolina Panthers offense, and how will Peyton Manning solve the Carolina Panthers defense, which is no easy task? They may not be ranked number one, but they're really close to that. They have great corners, There's a lot of great players on that defense, so it's probably going to come down to if Cam Newton is able to play against the pressure of a Super Bowl, ignore everything the media has been asking or writing leading up to the game this week, will he be able to come out and take control like the Panthers have done in the first two games of the playoffs to get to the Super Bowl, just beating teams to a pulp and basically putting the game away before the third quarter in some instances if Denver can come out and get in his head early and really deter him from doing what he thought he would be able to do maybe he'll throw an interception or fumble it on a sack or have some sort of turnover to get a little bit down not be as confident 
maybe have the Denver defense get into his head early and the Broncos set the tone that way, then we might be in for a good contest. Because if you keep this game close, if you're the Broncos, you never know what can happen with Peyton Manning under center and with the defense that you have and with the special teams that you have. If it's a close game, one thing goes your way, the ball bounces your way in a particular play, that changes everything, and you're able to capitalize on it. If Carolina comes out, runs up the score by the half, then there's going to be problems because then you're putting the game on the back of Peyton Manning, and he might not be capable of carrying that weight like he used to be a couple years ago. He hasn't really had to do that this season. There really hasn't been a moment where he's taken the game over and just torched the defense. When he goes into those 50-50 throws where he'll try to hit somebody on a really far, deep pattern and usually overthrows them or has somebody coming over on a slant who just happens to be open on coverage, those 50-50, one-and-done type plays need to go 85% in the Broncos' favor. If he has somebody on a deep route and he throws it to them, you're going to have to really hope that those fall. If he has somebody open on a deep route, you're going to have to hope he doesn't overthrow that guy and can knock some of those down. If they're able to do that, get those 50-50 plays on offense where it's a very difficult play to make, but the receiver is able to or Peyton's able to find them, now we're talking. As far as Denver's defense is concerned, you've got Cam Newton who can scramble. He's hard to bring down. He can sling the ball, which he showed this season, can throw it in the pocket, can throw it on the run. He could basically do it all. They're going to need to get to him early and get him out of his rhythm early because if he starts taking control of the game, you're not going to be able to stop him. You could send people to blitz. He could run out of the pocket and scramble for a first down. As far as the defense is concerned, the game is going to come down to third downs. The story of the Denver Broncos for the past couple of seasons has been third downs on both offense and defense. When Peyton was in his Denver prime, it was converting those third downs, keeping the offense on the field. Now for the defense, it's making sure you get the opposing offense off the field on third downs. More often than not, in the games that Denver loses, it's a tale of not being able to do any of that on both sides of the ball. The offense can't convert third downs and the defense can't stop third downs. If they can do one, you're giving yourself a chance. If they can do both, now we're talking. Maybe that should be the slogan for the Super Bowl. Now we're talking. So, of course, Madden, the renowned Madden franchise, predicted the game through a series of simulations. They did the same thing last year, ended up predicting that the Patriots would win 28-24 on a game-winning Julian Edelman touchdown from Tom Brady. Not only did they correctly predict that play, which happened previously to the interception that Russell Wilson threw to end the game in the end zone, they also predicted the correct score, 28-24, in favor of the Patriots. That is bananas. So, of course, they simulated the game this year, and in the simulation, the Panthers take an early 17-0 lead in halftime. Peyton leads the Broncos back for a 20-17 lead, but Cam Newton has the last laugh. He gets the ball late, ends up running in a touchdown with about 40 seconds to go to propel the Panthers to a 24-20 victory over the Denver Broncos. Now you might be wondering why I tell you that, because a lot of people might say, well, it's just a video game. What difference does that make? Well, in the past 12 years of their simulations and predictions, they've picked the Super Bowl winner right 9 out of 12 times. Unbelievable. For gamblers, 
some people might want to throw down on Denver if that's going to indeed be the final score because the spread is currently six. Denver is getting six points against the Carolina Panthers. What's interesting about that is that line started at around three, three and a half. And when it first went out, people just started taking the Panthers like crazy and pushed the line up three full points, basically. You really just don't see that. So I don't know if that means you should throw down on Denver because of that and take the six, or if you should just ride with Carolina and hope they win by a touchdown. I'm more interested in the prop bet portion of gambling on the Super Bowl as far as the coin toss, whether it be heads or tails, how many receiving yards a certain player will get, who will score the first touchdown, what song Coldplay will start the halftime show with, will Beyonce be wearing black boots at halftime, will Lady Gaga's rendition of the national anthem go over two minutes and 20 seconds? Will Peyton Manning announce his retirement at the end of the game on live TV? How many times will Cam Newton dab during the broadcast? Will the broadcast team say the word dab more than two and a half times? Will Mike Carey get a call wrong when they go up to the coach's booth on a challenge? You tell me. Prop bets are amazing. And even if you're not going to throw any money down on them, I encourage you to check out the list just to get a chuckle and to keep your eye open to see what color the Gatorade is that gets poured onto the winning coach's head after they win the Super Bowl. What's been a good thing as a Denver Broncos fan leading into Super Bowl 50 is, of course, beating the Patriots on your home field was great. Peyton Manning being 3-1 and one now against Tom Brady in the AFC Championship games is great. But what has also been good as far as a media broadcasting standpoint is concerned is that not a lot of people, whether it be broadcasters or the folks that call into the show, are talking about the Denver Broncos or Peyton Manning or his legacy or how the team is going to perform, etc., etc., What everyone seems to be talking about is Cam Newton and whether or not he's a great quarterback, whether or not people should have negative comments about his actions on the field, his celebrations, how he carries himself, what he wears, what type of quarterback he is, what type of character he has. Stupid questions the media have been asking him during media day and the days following. There's a gentleman today at the media session who announced he was from the Wall Street Journal and then proceeded to ask Cam Newton why he was wearing socks with his sandals. Sir, for starters, why would you tell everyone who you are and who you write for if you're going to ask a stupid question like that? For a second, have we really run out of things to say where we have to comment a man on why he's wearing socks with sandals? Apparently we have. Cam, of course, did address the media yesterday and tell them that nothing has changed from the previous day when he answered all of the questions about what he does from day to day and how he's been preparing for the game. He basically told them his entire daily routine and that it would not change when he arrived. Pretty much everything stayed the same. I get the whole media availability thing is a little important for the Super Bowl and you could get some cool storylines from it, but that never seems to make mainstream media. You don't hear about the offensive lineman who is doing X, Y, or Z, or as Cam Newton would say, this, that, and the third. 
which is really the only thing that irks me about Cam Newton. It's not his celebrations on the field or how he carries himself as a person. It's who says this, that, and the third. I've heard this, that, and the other thing, but not this, that, and the third. I don't know where that comes from. That would be my question to him. But anyway, go tell stories about people that don't have the camera on them at all times or a microphone in their face at all times. Go ask Denver Broncos punter Britton Colquitt why he has to pay $1,800 so his one-week-old daughter can have a seat at the Super Bowl. There's no age limit on tickets, so he has to pay 1800 bucks for a week-old daughter to come to the game if she should want to go. It's pretty nuts. There's a story you could do. Obviously, one has sort of been done because I just told you that story, but you get the idea. Stop asking the same questions to the same people who we hear from all year and take the opportunity to maybe do a feel-good story about someone else. But anyway, that is enough of me ranting and raving about my Super Bowl thoughts. Even though I was unable to participate in Radio Row, I still knew of one guest who would be perfect to talk about Super Bowl 50, the two teams playing in Super Bowl 50, and what it means to play in the Super Bowl, because I just happen to know a person that has a handle in all three of those things. Joining me on the bridge this week is John Glenn. The current assistant linebackers and defensive quality control coach for the Seattle Seahawks. And yes, he is also a Super Bowl champion since he was also on the staff for that 2014 Super Bowl 48 championship football team who happened to, of course, beat my Denver Broncos. The only bright spot to that is that when Mr. Glenn returned to Northeastern Pennsylvania to talk at his old high school at Lackawanna Trail, I was there to cover the story, and he also happened to bring with him his Super Bowl and NFC Championship rings from the last two years, so I was able to try on his Super Bowl ring. Fit pretty well, too, I have to say. It was hard to take it back off, but I wouldn't have enjoyed seeing the engraving on the inside that gave the score, of course, of 43-8. to So he's been kind enough to take some time away from his family vacation in Florida to talk a little bit about how he got to the National Football League, what it was like to coach in a Super Bowl and then win one, what it was like to lose a Super Bowl, and what both teams can do on Sunday to give them the best chance of winning Super Bowl 50. Without further ado, let's talk to John Glenn. So I am here with John Glenn, a graduate of Lackawanna Trail High School and the current assistant linebackers and defensive quality control coach for the Super Bowl champion Seattle Seahawks, of course, two years ago, but still stands the same. How are you doing, sir? Thanks for coming on the show. I'm great, man. Thanks for having me. Not a problem. For people that don't know... We first became in contact with each other because Lackawanna Trail High School is one of the three schools that my local newspaper covers. And when this gentleman was with the Seattle Seahawks, did a little story, and then you happen to go and win the Super Bowl. So we've been in contact since then, and the success has basically continued to follow you since then. So it's been great to cover. I just wanted to start by turning the clocks back a little bit going back to your playing days at Lackawanna Trail and just telling the listeners a little bit about what your career was like in high school in Dalton, Pennsylvania, and then how you ended up playing a little bit as well in college down in East Stroudsburg. Well, I was very fortunate to play at Lackawanna Trail and have such a fun and exciting career there where I got a chance to play with some great people, the Yogi Roth, the Jim Coltons, 
all those people, the Rich Jacksons. It was just a tremendous opportunity for me to get to play three sports in high school and then to go on and have the opportunity to further my athletic career and my academic endeavors at East Stroudsburg University, where I got the chance to play for a guy that's been a head football coach at East Stroudsburg for 40-plus years and to learn from him and to be able to play some great football and meet some great people and, and just have a great time doing it, which has led me to the career that I'm in now, which is coaching football. And, man, I'd be a son of a gun if I didn't get a chance to coach in the NFL. So it's just been a, a tremendous opportunity for me, and I've been blessed along the way, and it's just been completely awesome. Now, I know things got started as far as the coaching was concerned when you got that position as the linebackers coach and a graduate assistant at North Carolina Wesleyan College in Rocky Mountain, North Carolina, of course, with that mm-hmm. football program that had just been established really the year before. What was that like to kind of get your feet wet as a coach? And then how did you end up on the journey to get to the opportunity to coach in the National Football League? Well, I think first and foremost, is that you're always competing for something. And I realized that as a, probably like right when I got to college that I was an, a tremendous competitor and just wanted more and just wanted to keep thriving in, in any opportunity that I got. So I was very, very fortunate that a guy that I had played against had started this program at North Carolina Wesleyan and offered me a coaching job. And I thought, here's a deal that you got your opportunity to write your own script. There's never been anyone there before. It's a total new program. You could put your own new traditions on and everything. And just had such a great opportunity to recruit some wonderful athletes, to coach some great players, and to just have a blast doing it. And from there, that led me to a bunch of other opportunities. Uh, obviously, my best friend, Yogi Roth, at the time was coaching at the University of Southern California and was there with Coach Carroll. So I had the opportunity to meet him and just fell completely in love with the philosophy of not only who he was as a football coach, but who he was as a man and just really start to dive into that. And then that just opened up a, a lot of doors for me with Steve Sarkeesian at the University of Washington being able to, when he left USC, to go up there with him. And then in the end, when Coach got to the Seattle Seahawks, to be able to go over with him. So it's been a great ride along the way. Very, very fortunate and just have had a great time doing it. Now, I know part of that ride was a little bit of a struggle because you went from being in a college dormitory as the coach at at NCW, making (laughs) making a check that wasn't much, but at the time seemed like the world, and then ending up in California as a bartender, just trying to make ends meet until you ended up running into the people that ended up getting you to where you were. So how did you stay motivated during those times, especially when you ended up having to take a couple jobs before the big ones ended up hitting? Well, that's it. I often, when I say we, I often joke with my wife that my first job was for $8,000 a year in a dorm room, <laughs> which most people would be like, wow, I went to college for this. And But it was never about the end result. It was It was a start. And that's what you have to look at it. Whatever dream you may have, there's always a starting point. Right. And as long as you keep the end vision in sight, it doesn't matter what happens along the way. It's all about accomplishing that dream. And whatever steps that you have to take to make it along the way are, are just things that you got to go through. Like I said, every journey has a starting point, and you just keep walking, man. You, know? <laughs> you just keep walking one foot in front of the other, no matter what happens, no matter the setback, no matter anything. And, and there were, there were 
tremendous <laughs> setbacks along the way. There were there were more failures than there were successes. You know, I often compare it to a minor league baseball player where you're just taking your thousand at bats and you're striking out a lot, and finally you just start hitting, you just start hitting, you just start hitting. And then you get the call, and you get called up to the big leagues, and you feel like you're accomplishing something. And I really, truly am. I mean, I'm living out my dream right now. So it's a blessing. It's a blast. It's awesome. But there were a tremendous amount of failures along the way, a tremendous amount of setbacks that you just have to overcome. And that's life. No matter what you do in life, life is never going to go straight and easy. You know, there's always going to be curves in the road. There's going to be bumps. There's going to be rocky times. And you just have to keep walking and keep going forward and keep chasing after what it is that you truly want. Absolutely. So can you tell the listeners what your responsibilities are now with the Seahawks, kind of where you started and now what you end up doing on a typical week-to-week basis with them? Well, I started off as a special teams assistant where I was helping out our special teams coordinator, Brian Schneider, with whatever it is that I could from scouting reports to film breakdown and all that stuff. And I moved into the quality control role. So now I'm responsible for what I do is I, I break down the opponent that we're facing, their offense, and then I'll do first and second down stuff. So it's, it's a great opportunity for me to learn. I get the, uh, the opportunity to learn from some tremendous people, from our defensive coordinator, Chris Richard, who has done such a fantastic job coaching the secondary from the Legion of Boom and, and <laughs> taking those guys from when they were drafted. And he's a former player, a former USC player, a former Seattle Seahawk. Just a tremendous, tremendous football coach. The opportunity to learn from him is just incredible. And then you have our Rocky Seto, who's our assistant head coach, and he's just phenomenal. And then the opportunity to learn from a guy like Michael Barrow, who is our linebackers coach, who played 13 years in the NFL, played at the University of Miami, has played all over the NFL, and just has such great knowledge of the game. And then another opportunity to learn from one of our other linebacker coaches, Lofa Tupa second-round draft pick of the Seattle Seahawks, played at USC, an all-pro linebacker like he knows. So you have this tremendous opportunity to learn from such great individuals that have played this game, that have had success playing this game. It's awesome, and I'm so very fortunate that I've gotten the opportunity to learn special teams in the NFL and defense. So I feel very, very blessed. I'm just jacked to be a part of it. Another cool part about your journey is that when you started coming on with the Seahawks, so too did this Legion of Boom and the defense that everybody knows and some love, some hate, obviously, if you're the opposing team. And one of the things Pete Carroll obviously brought to the team was his mindset of preparing every week, every game, like it's that championship game. How important do you think that type of mindset has been for the success that the team has been able to have on both sides of the ball in the last couple of years? Well, I think, first off, the Legion of Boom, those guys are their own entity. I mean, those guys have such a will to succeed themselves, from the Richard Shermans to the Cam Chancellors to the Bobby Wagners, the KJ Wrights, the Bruce Irvins, the Michael Barons. Like, those guys are just so driven to succeed themselves that when they get involved with Coach's message, it just enhances it. They make it look but, easy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, they're so darn talented that, yeah, I mean, they make a lot of things look easy, but they are extremely driven and they, they put in extreme amounts of time and they just do a, a phenomenal job. As far as coaches philosophy, it really truly is a message that it comes down from the top and echoes through every assistant coach that we have. And that is, the first thing is that we want to do things better than they've ever been done before. And competition is everything. And we're, doing our best in that what truer message than to that he's shown than to 
have a quarterback in Matt Flynn that you pay a bunch of money to, we draft Russell Wilson and who becomes the starter in the face of this program, but a Russell Wilson. So I think coach everything that he does in his approach to this team is spot on. It's well thought of, and it's just it's a reflection of who he is as a, as a person, as a football coach and his philosophy. So we remember, of course, Super Bowl 48, your yeah. Seattle Seahawks against my Denver Broncos, kind of a, <laughs> a drubbing. There's a lot of words we could use for that game, the 43 to eight beat down. But in the end, you guys end up winning the Super Bowl, and it was a start to the great things that have come from Seattle. How amazing of a feeling was that for you when the final whistle sounded and you guys were Super Bowl champions? Well, it, it was awesome. I mean, obviously, the game kind of went a, went a different way, and but it was just such a phenomenal game to be a part of. Number one, to face a great team like the Denver Broncos, to face a Peyton Manning, like all those things are storybook. It's what you dream about when you're when you're a kid, and just to be there and to go through a season and to have it culminate in winning the championship is just something that you'll never forget. I mean, it's the ultimate prize in the ultimate game. So it's just such a, a great cherished moment that it, there's nothing that ever will live up to it aside from like the birth of your children or the day you marry your wife. And it's just one of those feelings that you'll always will carry with you. It's just a culmination of everything that you put into the season. It's, it's a validation of, of all the stuff that you practice that you've done through. So it's, such a cool deal it's it's indescribable i wish i had a word to be like oh, this is what it is but it's not when when, you, when you're standing there and you're experiencing it you're just like wow my life has changed forever it's like the birth of your children or the, the day that you get married you know your life is never the same and it, it is that and it's fun it's a blast and so very fortunate to experience it and to experience it with the group of guys that we have it's it's awesome and what a credit to our ownership our our people that work in the building our gm john schneider and our personnel departments and coach carroll and all that stuff just what a phenomenal job they've done with this organization to not only win a super bowl but to have us back there the year after and then to have us in contention and to have us in contention for a long time so They've done just such a fantastic job, and I'm just so happy to be a part of that organization. Now, the next year, you end up, in a way, going from the thrill of victory to the agony of defeat in the Super Bowl. We all remember what happened on the last play to the New England Patriots. Could you describe what the feeling was like for you guys as a team and then the motivation that that loss ended up providing for you guys coming into this season and some of the things you were able to do for this year because of what was able to happen after that Super Bowl loss? Sure. And once again, one other way, I mean, you're playing the New England Patriots, Tom Brady, like what two Super Bowls to be a part of? You got Peyton Manning <laughs> and Tom Brady, huh? Like how much better can they get? Couldn't draw yeah, and the end wasn't what we had wanted. It wasn't what we had hoped for, and, and that's fine. I think the the really cool deal is that you've got to experience the winning of the Super Bowl, this ultimate jubilation, this ultimate prize, and then you got to experience the other spectrum of it, the, the lowest of lows. You're on the downfall. You go through an offseason. But it's, it's awesome because it humbles you. It makes you realize what, what the fight is all about. It makes you want to to claw, to scratch, to be back. But it also, it challenges you. It challenges you to a point where 
you have to really be on your stuff. And I think this year was just such a case of a challenging year because you're fighting through the emotions. You know, you've gone through the highest of highs and now you're going through the lowest of lows. And to get through that emotion, to fight through it and to get everyone back to be where they want to be, where they can see their own selves like with the eye on the prize, it's tough. I think the climb is, is the coolest thing right now because now you, the hunger is back. Right. It's, it's something where, you know, I think sometimes when you win something, you try not to, but a little part of you, you're on top, you're going through this, you think you're really awesome, but then there's someone else that's clawing, that's, that's scratching, that wants to get where you are. And, and I think when you get knocked off that pedestal, you realize, this is you. You you want to climb back up. So it's really cool. I think we're in a really cool part of this program where we're back to the hunger. The hunger is in our eyes. And I think after the loss to the Carolina Panthers, like we felt that. For the first time all year, I really felt that like that hunger was just, it was evident. Well, that's going to be a, a scary team for most of the teams in the league, I think. I think it's a scary team regardless. Yeah. Um, I think the guys that we have are just such incredible individuals but i think now that they've tasted success they've tasted defeat and now they realize okay like this is what it is to get back here okay right. we got this we're in you know like they they understand that not to say that, that it, that's going to happen because obviously there's 31 teams in the nfl that are feeling that same feeling but i think that these these guys they get it they really do get it and they're a scary group of guys I think one of the more impressive things of, of this particular season and some of the things we saw as a fan base and I'm sure some of the other teams saw as well was because of the injuries that the team faced through the season. Obviously, Marshawn Lynch going down for a couple of games. Jimmy Graham was lost for the rest of the season midway through. Thomas Rawls, the running back, goes down. Russell Wilson really had a coming out party, even though he didn't need one, as far as how good of a passer he actually is. Because in years past, of course, the running game was incredibly dominant. The defense was incredibly dominant. He didn't need to necessarily put the team on his back. But it seemed like this year he really stepped forward as the leader of the squad and basically took over the whole second half of the year to lead the team to the playoffs. How fun was it to watch him take over those games and take over the season and really come out as, wow, this guy can really play the quarterback position? Sure. And I think injury is something that you face week in and week out in the National Football League. I think the really cool part is that this team relied on one another. It wasn't just Russell Wilson relying on Russell Wilson. It was Russell relying on new receivers and new tight ends and new running backs and the defense relying on each other. Like It was a total team effort mm-hmm. to get us to the playoffs. These guys did such a phenomenal job of coming together and really playing for each other, and that's what it, it ultimately is. Like You can draw up any scheme you want, but when these guys are playing for the man next to them, there's something really, really powerful in that. And I think that's what you saw this team do. I think you saw them play for the guy next to each other and, and not just individuals. I think you saw them playing for each other. And, and, and that's what's scary. That's what's really cool. So that ended up resulting in, of course, a wild card spot in the playoff game, having to go to Minnesota, playing in the third coldest game in NFL history, negative six <laughs> degrees. First, I got to ask is, have you warmed up yet from that game? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
I did. I, I'm pretty lucky. I only spent about 20 minutes in the cold. I'm up in the box during games, so I really can't complain. The weather was about 70 degrees and sunny, and my and the coffee was really, really hot in the booth. So, <laughs> I mean, I got I got nothing to say about that, but it looked very, very cold. Did the cold weather have any effect on the game as far as the game plan was concerned? I know that some of the talk on the broadcast was that the specific cleats that the team was wearing early didn't necessarily work as well with the cold and they had to be adjusted. And of course, the game plan probably changes a little bit more just because it may be a little bit difficult to throw the football. But again, that didn't really stop Russell Wilson from doing his thing. Did that come into play at all, being how cold it was, or did everyone just kind of get used to it? Yeah, I mean... As football coaches, you like to think that, you know, like nothing, you ignore all the elements and all that sort of stuff. But I'm sure that stuff does bother us. But I think for the most part, the guys, like, it didn't really matter. From our standpoint, our equipment staff was so dialed into what we needed from jackets to heaters on the sidelines, the hand heaters and the warm, the toe heaters for your cleats. I think these guys were so dialed in that that was just something that, it didn't really even phase us. And like, when you take out the excuses of it and you just don't even worry about it, like, yeah, maybe, Hey, it's out there. It's cold. I mean, both teams are playing in it. You just go out and you play football and you just try to execute whatever it is that you can execute that you're trying to accomplish that day. So, I mean, I'd like to be brass enough to say that I don't think it mattered. I'm sure it had something to do with it, Mm -hmm. but did we change our game plan? No. I mean, I think we ran the same stuff that we'd run was maybe a ball underthrown or overthrown? Sure. Did both teams try to run the football maybe more? Sure. The good part about it was you didn't end up with hands that Cam Chancellor shared with the world on Instagram where (laughs) he's basically peeling off his entire layer of skin on his hand from the cold like a week after the game. It was cold, man. It was cold. I mean, we get cold cold games in northeastern PA, but nothing really like that. I was just telling my family, I was like, once you get below zero, I mean, that's a different type of cold. That's cold. I think that, like I said, like our guys did such a great job in our equipment stats. I just, it was just something that was there. I mean, our guys just got to go play football. It just happens to be the elements, you know? So when Blair Walsh lines up for what could potentially be the game-winning field goal, what is the atmosphere like in the coach's box with you guys? Do you do you put your interlocked your arms like you do for free throws in college basketball? Or what were your thoughts like when yeah, he ended up missing? I think you're just the one thing about this team is that there's there's always a belief that something great is going to happen, you know. And, and I think that echoes through our coaching staff. You know, we're up there, and, and one coach is like, he's going to miss it. He ain't going to make this. You're secretly thinking in, in the back of your mind, like, especially me as a special teams coach, I'm like, man, this guy's a pretty darn good kicker. I remember scouting him coming out. Yeah. I'm praying for a miracle here, but I don't know. And then, obviously, you know, when something like that does happen, you, you feel bad for them and all that. But at the same part, I mean, We've lost games in, in the last couple minutes on, on last drive, so I feel great for our guys that, that one went our way. So it is what it is. I mean, it's a tough deal for them. We're super excited for us. It's awesome for us. <laughs> That's the nature of the beast. You know, sometimes it comes down to that, and in the majority of my career, I'll be on the other side of it, and I'm just happy to be on the winning side of it now. Yeah, nothing so. wrong with that. Could you describe what that week is like not necessarily that it's different when it's a playoff scenario when you win a game on Sunday and you're obviously playing again next Sunday, but some of the things that you guys as a coaching staff do to prepare for your next opponent, which that next week was going to be the Carolina Panthers. 
I think for us, that's where Coach's philosophy really is with us. Like, we treat every game as if it's a championship opportunity. No matter if we're playing in the preseason, we prepare the same exact way. So for us, it's just back to business as usual. We come back, we fly back, we tell the truth Monday. The guys are off Tuesday. It's competition Wednesday. We just go right back to work. So, I mean, for us, like, Coach's philosophy really keeps us honed in. That's the the beauty of the consistent makeup throughout the year. We're able to win, lose, or draw. We know we're coming back to tell the truth Monday. Right. Win, lose, or draw. We know we're going to competition Wednesday. For us, it's the deal. I mean, we're uncommonly consistent. And that's what's really cool is that you could have an emotional roller coaster of a game like the Minnesota game where you win in the last second and you would think that you got to come home and all this stuff has to go on. But it's just business as usual. You come in, tell the truth Monday, this is what happened. Boom, players are off. Let's get right back to work Wednesday. We got to travel to Carolina. And in that game, the Panthers, of course, come out and take a little bit of early momentum on both the offensive and defensive side. But in typical Seattle Seahawks fashion, you guys were able to answer the call in the second half and come within a touchdown toward the end. What do you think they were able to do as far as in the first half, their successes on offensive and defensive schemes? And how did you guys kind of answer that in the second half? Well, first off, I think that that's a phenomenal football team, the Carolina Panthers. They're young, they're hungry. They remind me a lot of us in 2012. It's just a young football team that's got a chip on their shoulder that just wants to come out swinging and, and improve their dominance. They're really, really fast on defense. Got a heck of an, heck of an offense. And, and I compare them to us, not saying that we're, we're down from that, but it's, it's a great comparison because the two teams are eerily similar. Right. They, they do a great job getting turnovers, not turning the ball over themselves. And, and I think for us, stuff just kind of snowballed. We let the big play happen, the first play of the game. Normally, I mean, when was the last time you saw the Seattle Seahawks give up a gap scheme run that went for 60 yards? I mean, it's just stuff that kind of happened out of the norm for us. And to our players' credit, they came in at halftime, made some adjustments, and just came back out and played football and played really, really good football. Played football that maybe a little bit more time, and we, we might win that football game. So it was really cool to see the resiliency, to see the fight. Like, these guys never wavered, man. We got, we got punched in the mouth. We got punched in the mouth early. We stood there and... and went toe for toe and that's what champions do <laughs> you know to be honest like that's what champions do they don't ever give up they keep fighting they battle and that's what these guys are man they're battlers they're competitors to the highest degree like every one of those guys on that football team is great competitors i have the highest respect for them they, they play as hard as they can it's, it's effort it's everything that they do so i'm so jacked to be a part of it and to be part of that game what a great game. You know, the first half is just, okay, it's the craziest of crazies. You're down all these points, and then to come back and to fight and all this stuff. So it was cool. It was a blast to be a part of. Did Coach Carroll end up giving a speech after the game that makes you want to already run through a wall, per se, as far as getting everyone motivated and not letting them stay down after a game like that and know that next year you could easily be back in the same position competing and for I, another And I think Super our Bowl. guys understood that. I think our guys, they realized that, you know, when they were fighting and, and battling to get back into that game, they get it. They know exactly that anything that they want to accomplish, they can accomplish. Mm-hmm. And I think the words from coach are just to reiterate what they can accomplish, 
how they need to approach the off season and all that sort of stuff. And, and our guys do that. So I think we're in a great position. I think this football team has a bright future ahead of it. And just like, like I said, really excited to be a part of it. So that in turn brings us to Super Bowl 50 on Sunday, the Panthers versus the Broncos, two teams you are more than familiar with as a coach. Yeah. What do you think some of the keys will be as far as the offensive and defensive things that both teams can do in order to give themselves the best chance to win since you know what it takes to beat these teams and you know what they can do in order to beat you? It's going to come down to it's going to be all about the football. It's going to be how can the Denver Broncos take care of the football? How can the Carolina Panthers get the football? So for them, having one of the best defenses that creates turnovers, and they do a great job of giving that offense, I guess they, they probably have the best average start position as an offense because they get so many turnovers. It's going to be how can we take care of the football? How can we give the Carolina Panthers a long field and not a short field? It's going to be awesome. And I think that Carolina defense is really, really fast. So it's going to come down to ball control. Can the Denver Broncos run the football? Can Peyton throw short passes and, and, and control the clock, control getting first downs and, and all that stuff? And I think it's going to come down to special teams. Is there going to be a big play in the special teams? I think it'll be a better game than, than what I think people are expecting. I think it's going to be close. I really do, and I think it's going to come down to the football. I think it's going to come down to turnovers. Do you have a pick of who you'd rather see win? I know you're not necessarily rooting for either team. but <laughs> uh, I think I'd like to see Carolina. I'd like to see the NFC win. Oh, you uh, hurt me, man. <laughs> hurt. Caught know, me I deep. I like that football team. I think they're well-coached. They do a phenomenal job. Great players. I think Cam is a, is a special quarterback. The ability to run the football I think he throws the ball really, really well. I think he's a good quarterback, and I think they have a good running game. It's such a, a run game that's complex, not simple. It's not like they just line up with two backs and run power. You give a little bit of that element where the quarterback can keep the football and you have pullers going in either direction and all this sort of stuff. I think that creates some problems. So I, I really I really enjoy that, that offense. I think they do a great job with it. And not only do you have the great running game, and then you have the ability, like, Cam is a great passer. Yeah, and <laughs> yeah. He, he really like, proved that like, this oh, season. He's a running court. Man, he can throw the football. Right. And you got a great tight end in Greg Olson. you got some great receivers. But then, obviously, you have the Peyton Manning factor, and we know what he can do, and the Denver Broncos have, have a great defense. So it'll be a great football game. I'm really excited to watch it. I'm hopeful that yeah, I'm uh, yeah. that I'm more into the game after the halftime show than I was in 2014. <laughs> well, I, I think you will. I think it's, it's two great football teams playing each other. Two great quarterbacks. Two great defenses. <laughs> you know what more could you want in a in a Super Bowl? Right. You know, aside from the Seattle Seahawks being in there well, for a great time. But yeah, I think it's going to be a phenomenal football game. I'm really excited to watch it. Now, unfortunately, I'm not producing this show from Radio Row or anything like that with the Super Bowl media in a huge chaotic uproar for this week, of yeah. course. As far as those things are concerned with the Super Bowl, I know some teams tend to struggle because of the bye week, because of the change of schedule, the change of pace, having to answer questions, not really practicing like you're used to doing. 
what do you think the hardest part of getting ready for the game would be? And some of the things that you guys did to kind of prevent yourselves from getting into a flux that you really don't want to be in. Yeah. The hardest thing is as football players, you're creatures of habit. That's why for us, the competition Wednesday, the turnover, no turnover Thursday, whenever you can replicate that and, and just keep your routine as normal as possible, that's when success happens. And I think the Super Bowl, what happens is that your routine kind of gets out of whack. You have media day before your practice and all this sort of stuff. There's just so many distractions that it's the teams that can stay as, as focused as possible that, that are successful. Right. It's how can you stay on task? How can you make this as normal as a normal practice week as you possibly can. Both those teams, I think, will be fine with it. Obviously, the Denver Broncos, they've had practice with it, and I think Carolina will do just a a great job with it. I'm hoping that they don't. (laughs) Cam has that uh, bright-eyed look because he's at his first Super Bowl, and it gets to his head, and they can take advantage, but we'll see. Does your son want to come on the program? You should ask him. This is his chance to be famous right here. Nate, you want to come on the radio? He actually just came in the room that I'm in. So, Nate, you want to say hello and who's your favorite team? Say hi. You got to yell. You got to say, go Seahawks. Go Seahawks. <laughs> well, who's your favorite Seahawks, Nate? Who's your favorite? Well, he said his favorite Seahawks is Doug Baldwin. Doug Baldwin. He had quite which, the season this year. I'll which, tell you. Which I get, right? You know? Hey, yeah. Anyone that can catch that many touchdowns in, in those games, man, I'm a fan of too. Right. Like so in closing of all of this what are some of the things that you're going to be doing hanging out in the off season here before you start picking up again where you guys left off and getting back to the grind well i think the most important thing is right now is being a dad Um, it's 10 o'clock and my two-year-old is hanging out (laughs) we're trying to keep him on west coast time so that the time change doesn't kill him yeah that's that's a good idea he does sleep until 10 o'clock in the morning just so people that all the people that are listening, they're like, "Wow, this guy's a horrible parent." <laughs> uh, we're keeping him on West Coast time, but no, yeah, the most important thing I think is, is spending some quality family time. I'm actually going to have another son here in March, so we're really excited about that. Just to do things, you're gone so long during the season. Do the normal things to have dinner with the family, to go to a movie, to go out to eat with your wife, all those things. So just really excited to be normal for a little bit and get back to the grind of of football and go chase another championship. And then before you know it, you roll over one morning and it's time to get ready for the draft and get back into gear again. That's it. It's been, it's been a good time. Like I said, we've we've done Disney world now for a little bit and we're up here in the beaches of Florida. So we're we're having a good time and enjoying it. It's, It's been a blast. Nothing wrong with that. Well, sir, thank you for coming onto the program and telling me things that I already knew and also things that I did not. I appreciate you having you on. I hope you enjoy the game on Sunday. I'm sure we'll be catching up soon to talk shop again. Cool. Appreciate you. Hey, one more thing. Go Hawks. <laughs> yeah, I knew you were going to get that in there. I knew it. And let's just, let it just be known. It's not Russell Wilson telling everybody to do this. This is what everybody does. So pretty soon your son will be doing the same thing. That's it. I love it. Maybe I'll be closing my show off like that, but not for That's... a couple more months. We'll let it. <laughs> All right. All right. Thank Take you, care. sir. I'll talk to you soon. You got it. 
That's going to do it for The Bridge. You can catch this episode and all previous episodes at www.londonbridge.com. That's L-U-N-D-I-N-B-R-I-D-G-E. You can also follow me on Twitter under that same handle, at London Bridge. And you can also get The Bridge on your phone or other media devices by subscribing to The Bridge on iTunes. Next time on, we'll talk about Super Bowl 50, who was crowned champions, who went home losers, what that means to both teams, and whatever else I happen to have up my sleeve. On the bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. Sports.